0: So to me it was of value, not only in how he kept in touch with so many different people, uh, whatever their background, but the exile was to him of uh, tremendous spiritual uh, import.
1: Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. My name is Jonathan Master. I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, James Dalzell. James, how are you today?
2: Jonathan, I'm doing well and looking forward to uh, speaking with our guest about one of the luminaries of the Scottish Church. Yeah,
1: it is an honor to welcome our guest today, Bruce McLennan. He's a church historian. He's written a number of books. We're, We're going to spend today talking primarily about... Uh, his most recent book, Samuel Rutherford of Anwath, A Study in Pastoral Care, so specifically um, looking at Rutherford's pastoral work. Uh, So, uh, Bruce McLennan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I wanted to begin by asking a question about Rutherford. Uh, Many of our listeners will be familiar with him, or at least familiar with aspects of his life, Could you give us a a, a synopsis of the life and the broad significance of Samuel Rutherford? Why is he a Scottish figure so worthy of our study and attention today?
0: He had uh, an interest in all aspects of Scottish church life. Uh, It's clear from what I've written, I think, that he had as his first love uh, preaching the gospel and shepherding the Lord's people. But as you know, he spent quite a bit of time and several volumes writing about things that defended the faith, defended the Reformed faith in one way or another, whether it was against uh, episcopacy or against um, Erastianism, the various ways in which he took a stand. He had a, a varied life. He spent only nine years and then some months in the pastorate where he was uh, so attached. But then he was taken from there to go into uh, professing theology in the new college in St Andrews. And that really, apart from the time he was at the Westminster Assembly, where he played a major part with others like George Gillespie, Uh, and Robert Bailey, uh, that was how he spent the rest of his life, but he did insist on being able to preach the gospel as well while he was professing theology at what became later on St. Mary's College, St. Andrews. His health was never good. In fact, I would say from the age of 30 onwards, he had health problems, and yet he persevered, And he took his stand, along with several others, in what is known as the Second Reformation period in the early 17th century. And that gave him a place, I believe, in history, along with others like David Dixon and uh, James Durham, and so on.
2: It's interesting. Uh, We know him as a a scholar, perhaps, particularly in his university work, and yet he continues his correspondence with his congregation even after being removed from it so that the the pastor's heart seems to have remained with the people uh even even in his removal and you you focus on some of those dimensions of his ministry perhaps not as um publicly recognizable what drew you to this particular dimension of Rutherford's work
0: i read a few of the letters years ago when I did my earliest research, and that was basically looking at his uh, tussle with the Aberdeen theologians, the Aberdeen doctors, like Barn and uh, Sibold. But I have to confess, at that time I didn't read all the letters. Some years later I began to read them again. And I read the different edition uh, by James Stephen, who instead of doing it chronologically, he uh, put them into categories like uh, letters to women, letters to ministers, uh, letters to some soldiers, and so on. And that gave me the idea of doing something uh, similar. Uh, But what particularly uh, attracted me to this was what I have in chapter four of the book where I uh, have the title um, um, The Growth of a Soul because what I never realized in the past was the impact that this exile or banishment had upon Rutherford himself. Now, one of the uh, earlier writers, Robert Gilmore said, it is characteristic of the age of Puritanism that his banishment was to Rutherford a revelation of self. And as I looked at these letters, uh, particularly the first uh, six months to a year of his exile, what a spiritual growth he experienced there. So to me it was of value in not only in how he kept in touch with so many different people, uh, whatever their background, but the exile was to him of uh, tremendous spiritual uh, import. He was wanting to know the Lord better. He was wanting to uh, get to know the, the giver and not just the gift, as he put it. And as I read his letters, I was impressed with the way he seemed to be taken up with passages like Philippians 3, verse 10, which comes out in some of his sermons also, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and his sufferings. One of the writers, one of the the men he wrote to, uh, minister uh, of Irvine, Hugh McGill said, he said to him his dealings And the way of his judgments are past finding out. No preaching, no book, no learning could give me that which it behoved me to come and get in this town. So the impact on him, first of all, and that would have an impact also in the way he was able to counsel his uh, various correspondents. And the way he did it, of course, was he was never superior, he was self-effacing, he was self-critical, he never talked down to them, but he treated the various uh, classes of people and ages of people uh, with the same respect and with a desire to see that they were truly uh, the Lord's. He stresses things like the need for conviction. And I was taken also with the fact, and it's on page 105 of the book, I believe, where he sounded very modern, where he was insisting upon we should know Jesus as Savior and not just as Lord. Let me read one uh, uh, short extract to James Lindsay uh, in September 1637, where he says, but oh, how many of us would have Christ divided into two halves, that we might take the half of him only. We take his office, Jesus, and salvation, but Lord is a cumbersome word, and to obey and work out our own salvation and to perfect holiness is the cumbersome and stormy north side of Christ, and that which we eschew and shift. That is very topical, as you know, because there is a a, a major uh, war going on, a war of words in the states. You have on one side John MacArthur, and on the other side you have the Dallas Boys and others, mm-hmm. and uh, you have something of over here too. But I was very struck with that, so uh, pause for a moment.
2: Well, wow, that's uh, you. You brought it right up into the 1980s and 90s, uh, and and current current debates in the in the Protestant world. You mentioned a variety of people to whom he writes, um, so that he's not he's not a counselor for men in their 30s or something like that. I mean, he's not he's not locked into a certain demographic. Could you say something to the range of people that he's able to address with pastoral counsel? and perhaps yes. the kinds of issues unique to them.
0: Well, for example, his pastoral concern for children and youths. Now, that comes through very strongly. He is very concerned uh, to make sure that people, while they are young, uh, commit their life to the Lord. Uh, the lusts of youth are rank and strong, he says. And he's concerned that even Young people from uh, Christian backgrounds, godly households, should seek the Lord. And this is something that comes out uh, regularly in his counseling. He counseled some who had doubts. And I found that quite challenging too the way he uh, uh, presented the we knows of John or the way he. Uh, said to another correspondent, here are nine marks of the Christian, the first being love to Christ, then prayer. And it's uh, very clear that he uh, had a concern uh, for the bereaved. This particularly touched me because the way that he dealt with that is perhaps uh, a challenge to lots of pastors um, He could say, for example, the Lord has given you a long loan of your child. Is she lost to you who was found to Christ? The Lord has done this. This appealed to me because these things should challenge us. The Lord has done this to draw you closer to himself. And then one of his strengths, as I mentioned earlier in the book, uh, he acknowledged uh, and they should acknowledge the sovereignty of God in this. And he also would emphasise such matters, uh, crucial matters of the, as the resurrection and the life to come. And he counselled also that they should accept the time of departure that had been determined from all eternity.
1: Rutherford, as you as you note. Know, had a number of difficulties in his own life, things that he did not expect, uh, and things that he had to endure. And and by and large, the Lord used those to bring him closer to Himself, and and caused Rutherford to understand himself better and 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 Christ more deeply. Uh, he, he he writes or he he does some counsel. He offers some counsel for those who are nearing death. And I wonder if you could speak about that. What does he particularly emphasize as Christians near the end of their lives?
0: One of the things that uh, seems to come out is that he emphasizes and challenges whether they love the Lord, even as they're at this time of their life, and whether it was well-known people like James Guthrie, Uh, or uh, George Gillespie, uh, he uh, would uh, uh, challenge them to say, you've been preaching about this, you've been telling people about the way of salvation uh, for a number of years now, are you now prepared to take uh, the Lord's words that he has come to call you to be with himself? And he would get the response from these people that they were prepared, that they were ready, that they've accepted that their time has come to be uh, with the Lord.
1: So he was challenging um, well-known Christians, even, even at the point at which they were about to face their Savior, challenging them on their love for Christ. And love for Christ, passionate love for Christ, is of course one of those things that Rutherford is is best known for. But he's, it's, it's striking that that's, that's what he is emphasizing, even as as one nears nears the end.
0: Yes, that, that is correct. Yes,
2: Bruce, we're really grateful uh, for your work and bringing uh, Rutherford, the pastoral counselor, uh, into view uh, uh, more clearly for us, and a- adding that uh, perhaps to our our perception of his of his other uh, excellent gifts and really, really grateful for your work in in showing us the man who, though many perceive him an academic, was still uh, very much at heart and in practice, uh, a pastor of people preparing them for the life to come. So thank you for helping us to to see that and giving, giving us a model to emulate ourselves.
0: Thank you very much, thank you.
2: James, one of the things that occurred to me when we were uh,
1: preparing for this interview is that, uh, Although some of our listeners will be familiar with Rutherford, they probably won't be familiar with this side of him. And then, and then there are many who may not have heard of him at all. Maybe they've had contact with some of his writings, but but uh, but may may not have. And so, one of the things to emphasize about this book and to commend about this book is there is a brief biography of Rutherford in this book. So if you want a, a kind of introduction to the man and and to why he's so significant, this book will will actually get you there it's not entirely a biography it's it's actually it, it sort of zeros in on one aspect of his life and 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 uh and the letters in particular that he wrote uh pertaining to pa- pastoral matters but i actually would say it is a good place to start if you want to learn a little bit about Rutherford and it's and it's, it's it's very accessible under 200 pages i think around 150 pages and so um i we, I, I would commend it actually as an entry point to Samuel Rutherford.
2: Yeah, it is a nice. It, it the biography part could almost stand alone as a small intro, um, but then coupled with the various emphases in his pastoral ministry, and really so much of that is in written correspondence. And so we, you know, nowadays perhaps much of your pastoral ministry is in live conversation with people, so it doesn't become part of a, a record, so to speak. Uh, but because of his removal uh, from his people, we and because he was a prolific letter writer, uh, we do have so much of the correspondence and counsel that he gives. And the you know the time and the place are different, but the concerns of the soul are the same. So that this is not simply uh, an a study in historical artifacts. But it's a study in pastoral ministry that actually is is timeless uh, in a certain regard, and I think beneficial to pastors now uh, thinking about you know the the breadth of pastoral care and counsel uh, that they're called to give.
1: Well, that's another excellent point. I think there are pastors out there who. Um, naturally, want to grow in these areas. Perhaps they're they're new, newly ordained, or or maybe they're just recognizing that there are, there are areas of council that that are 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 less uh, familiar, le- come less easily. And so he's it, a good model of of what it looks like to be a careful, godly minister over many years. And even though he wasn't directly serving as pastor of these people. In a sense, he was. I mean, that was the role that he took on through his letters to them. So we commend this book to you, Samuel Rutherford of Anwath. Uh, It's a, st- a study in pastoral care by Bruce McLennan, published by our friends at RHB. And because of their generosity to us, we have a couple copies that we can give away. If you sign up, you can uh, have the chance to win that. Uh, go to PlaceForTruth.org. Click on the theology on the go link. There's a spot there for you to enter your information to win a copy of this. But as we said, even if you you don't uh, happen to get one of our copies, it's really worth picking up. It's a it's a good read, and I think it will be edifying to you today uh, in whatever your situation. Uh, we are grateful for you, our listeners. We rely on you for support. So, if you can financially support the Ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, please do that. It's uh, easy to do it at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. There are donate buttons there. If you can rate and review the podcast, that helps us get the word out. And also, you can help by by sharing it with people that you think might be interested. As always. Thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.